Father in heaven, we pray that through your word we would be strengthened, that you would be glorified. You know the needs of each person here, and I'm sure there are people here today who need the message of Ruth chapter 1 and the whole book of Ruth. People who are sad, people who may feel very much abandoned and hopeless. Lord, I pray that the hope of the gospel and the gracious redemption you give us would encourage each of us today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. And it is such a privilege to be back here. I think over many years, I've been here a few times. Caroline and I are both from Texas, so it's especially a joy to be in the promised land after being in deep exile in Southern California and North Carolina, somewhere in between. Um, Just, again, I don't know each of you in all of your situations, but I know humanity and what we're going through. And for some of you, you may have been tempted to say at times, life just hadn't really turned out the way I thought it would. You may have had brokenness in your family. You may have had a business ruined. You may have been deeply hurt by someone, a family member, business partner, friend. Uh, You may feel like something happened in your life that just knocked things off track. Others of us will look back and we will have regrets over sinful choices we've made in the past. You were with the wrong person romantically. You may have even been guilty of taking an unborn life. I had a man come to me some time ago, and he was by then in his late 40s, and he really felt like he'd made a wrong turn in life when he was in his mid-20s and had gotten off the freeway of God's will and had no on-ramp to get back. And sometimes we can feel that way. Well, all of those things are going on in the passage that we just read from Ruth chapter 1. Actually, it's interesting. The book of Ruth isn't primarily about Ruth. (laughs) It's about Naomi. Naomi's the main character. She's the person in the book of Ruth who needs redemption. And in the passage we just read, uh, she actually experiences the problem a Christian may have with hard things in life because she believed in the sovereignty of God. An atheist, when bad things happen, about all they can say is, well, I guess I was just unlucky because the atoms didn't bounce off each other favorably towards me. But she says, the hand of the Lord has gone against me. The Almighty has embittered my soul. And she realizes the tragedies in her life that we read about, that uh, first she had to experience essentially a refugee, going to be an alien in a land of Moab from Bethlehem in Israel. Then her husband died. And then her sons die. And she's in a, a bad place. And as Terry mentioned, I do a lot of biblical counseling. I train people. And I really think of Naomi like many people who come in who say they're depressed. I'm not saying everybody who's depressed is exactly for the same reason, but most people are depressed because they're sad, because they've lost something. And when I read this passage the first time in this light, it's kind of like, how would I counsel her? How would I deal with someone like this? And Naomi's like a lot of depressed people because they feel like everything's against them. They can't see the good things God is doing. And a major factor, which we're going to get to at the end especially, is they lie to themselves about God, about themselves, about everything. How can you help people like this? 
Well, as we are going to go through Ruth 1 in the context of the book of Ruth, I also want to explain three things I love to do when especially dealing with Old Testament narrative. I love Old Testament narrative. And there are three things I want to do. First of all, you need to explain what's happening because we're living under the new covenant and you've got all this stuff about widows remarrying relatives to keep the family line going and famines and there are things going on that to understand the passage you understand it in the light of the old covenant in the light of their culture like in the very beginning of the book it says there was a famine in the land well in the old testament god had promised for israel that if they were faithful there would be rain and if they were unfaithful there would be famine and drought and so whereas if texas has a drought you can one sense say we always deserve wrath but For them, if they were faithful, this wouldn't have happened. So it's indicative in light of Deuteronomy 28 and other passages that they've done wrong. So there are a lot of other things like that going in in the passage. So we need to understand the story. And one thing about Ruth, it's a great story. Uh, Even pagans have read the book of Ruth and have marveled at the beauty and the brevity of, of the drama of this wonderful book. And in the book, again, Naomi is the person who needs deliverance. And then that brings me to the second thing, which is really important, and that is we want to show how everything in the Scripture points ultimately and relates to the Gospel. In Luke 24, Jesus took His disciples, and starting with Moses, He went through the Old Testament and showed how all of these things point to Him. And so we don't want to just get moral lessons so we can live better lives or more successful lives. Uh, the message, great message of the Scripture is redemption. And in the book of Ruth, the fruit is pretty low-hanging. <laughs> Naomi herself needs redemption. She's a widow who has no hope for the future and misery in the present. And yet Israel also needed redemption because we're told in the beginning, what days were these? These were the days of the judges. Are those like the good old days? Wouldn't you like to go back to those days? No. The, the, judges, the book of the judges, if you've read it, is an extremely miserable time of disobedience in Israel. And so just as Naomi needed redemption from hopelessness and widowhood, the nation was kind of like Naomi. They were living in disobedience and they were oppressed by their enemies and things were horrible. And so they needed redemption. But that's not the end either, is it? We need a redeemer. We need redemption. We're in a mess of our own making. And the book of Ruth, as I'm going to show you, plainly points ahead to Christ and the redemption that he brings us. So all these things are going on. Then there's a third thing I wanted to explain the text, show how it points to the gospel in Christ. The third thing is what it says, like in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, that these things were written for us upon whom the end of the ages have come, that there's practical application here. And I've already kind of hinted at it. You're sad. You know someone who's sad. You feel hopeless. And a great application, a couple of things. One would be God cares about the ordinary. <laughs> and this is an ordinary family in Bethlehem that God chooses to elevate, but also that God is gracious. God is merciful to those who have really gone off the path. And so that's so encouraging. And that God works, when you you, you can read Romans 8, 28, if God works all things together for good for those who love Him, for those who are called according to His purpose. But Ruth really illustrates to that. So we're going to focus on the last uh, four verses of the chapter. And uh, you know the background now that it's actually interesting that Ruth and her, I mean, sorry, Naomi and her husband Elimelech had gone when there was a famine in the land and they'd gone to Moab. It's kind of like in the Old Testament when Abram and some of the patriarchs, when there was bad, you know, bad times, they'd go Egypt or someplace. By the way, that never worked out very well, did it? 
And so they, they go. They thought they would sojourn, like we'll go for a year. They were, she was gone 10 years. And then she hears in verse 6 that the Lord has visited His people, giving them grain. The famine is over. And now she can go back to Bethlehem and leave this foreign land. And so she's there with the other two widows. All their husbands have died. And she's, she's heading back. And she actually had encouraged both women, Orpah and Ruth, go back to Moab, go back to your families. Maybe you can have a future there. Uh, Orpah goes back. By the way, Oprah is from Orpah, if you know who Oprah is. But um, uh, Ruth determines to go on. We'll talk more about that as we go. And so here she is in verse 19. So they went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? I think the women were probably shocked. Illustratively, let's say you attend your 20th high school reunion. And people walk up to you and say, you know, you haven't changed a bit. And they whisper to each other, the years have not been kind to her. <laughs> and I think for Naomi, she has been through a lot and it's probably on her face. She's sad. And she even wants to change her name. Don't call me Naomi, which means cheerfully. Call me Mara. Bitter one. Because the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Now, as you keep reading in the book of Ruth, that name does not stick. (laughs) And by the end, she is Naomi in name and in nature. But Naomi is like most depressed people. And again, I'm acknowledging there may be some people who have brain things going on and other things going on. So there are multiple causes. But the most common cause of people being depressed is just normal sadness over loss. She's lost her husband, her sons. Uh, She talks about, I went out full and I've come back empty. She went out as a woman who had some status. A woman, not just a married woman, but two sons. And this is where the historical context is important, is that in in that situation, nothing in life was more important to Naomi than having sons who could carry on the family name. They had a piece of ground in, in Israel that was their family's inheritance in the kingdom that they wanted to be passed down from generation to generation. Well, things were looking good with two sons. Suddenly, no son, no husband. Her family is going to vanish and be forgotten forever, so she fears. And she has no hope. In verse 11, when the daughters were going to come with her, it says, you know, is it, there's not time left for me to get married and have more sons who might marry you. And that's referring to the practice of relatives marrying near relatives, widows, to be able to keep the family line going. Uh, her attitude towards God is not good either. And it's normal human nature. Something's not wrong with you if you feel sad when awful things happen. When someone you love passes away or you get a terrible diagnosis from a doctor, uh, it's not a disease of the brain. That's normal. In Genesis 23, when Sarah died, it says, Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Um, So most depression is, is sadness. And a challenge, and this is a risk of sadness and depression for believer is Naomi isn't just sad, she's tempted to blame God. And that's where our good theology can be misappropriated. We believe God is sovereign, that He works all things after the counsel of His will. And so when you believe that, and then something awful happens, you realize, 
God allowed that. Why did God allow that? Why did he allow my husband to die, my sons to die? Uh, Unbelievers shouldn't have a problem of evil because the universe is impersonal and it's just a roll of the dice how life goes. But for a believer, we understand. And, And Naomi's conclusion is, the Almighty has dealt bitterly against me. The hand of the mighty Almighty has afflicted me. And she's, the word she uses for Shaddai, Almighty, uh, is portraying God's might. And it's almost like, here I am, poor little Naomi, and God is this big bully who's throwing thunderbolts at me and wrecking my life. I'm helpless. What can I do? Now, one aspect of this is, if you read it in the context of the Old Testament, Naomi seems not to recognize the contribution her own sin may have played in the mess she's in. I began already in in the beginning of the chapter that when there was a famine in the land, when she comes back to Bethlehem, it's not empty. The others stayed there in the promised land, which is probably where they belong. If you'd read Genesis, you realize when you leave the promised land to go to a pagan land, bad things happen. You're told to avoid that. Uh, Also, if there was a famine in the land, she's among the people who had been unfaithful that brought about the famine. And then, perhaps most seriously, after her husband died, her sons marry Moabite women. And Deuteronomy 7, verse 3 says, Don't intermarry with those outside of the covenant community, or they will lead your hearts astray, as later happened with Solomon and and others. And so she may not recognize her own fault, but she's not the only one. Uh, You know, Jonah, I have good reason to be angry even unto death. Next, I think Naomi is probably most like Job. It's interesting, even in the, the Hebrew, there's language that's a same, that is very similar, how acknowledging that calamity came, adversity came from God. Job actually says, the arrows of the Almighty, same word, are within me. Their poison my spirit drinks. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. The Almighty has embittered my soul. Job suffered loss, and he was sad. And he was tempted to be angry with God. And then again, in the context, uh, I think Naomi is like the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel, they're experiencing famines. They're being oppressed by their enemies. All these awful things are happening. They would claim to be the people of God, but they're not acting like the people of God. And right now, I mean, points come where they can't even get their farm tools sharpened without the pagan, having to pay the pagans around them. They're utterly oppressed, and the situation seems completely hopeless. But if you read more carefully in the context, Naomi shows another characteristic which is true of depressed people, and that is she seems to be blind to all the good things God is doing for her. In the midst of her her sadness, there is hope. Even back in verse 6 and verse 22 as well, the famine is over. God has shown mercy and blessed His people with rain. At the verse 22, there's the barley harvest and people are going out to eat. It's almost like you're watching a movie and it's black and white and minor key and, and now it's color and major key music and things are getting better. They're out in the field gathering food after this awful time. Another is just a minor point in verse 19. It says, when they came to Bethlehem. If you've read the book of Judges, what do you think is the risk of two women traveling 100 miles, apparently by themselves, in those days. God delivered them safely from Moab into Bethlehem without being hurt. No acknowledgement of that. 
Then another aspect is now that she's back in Bethlehem, she's back in the place of God, in the, in the land that the Lord has chosen among the people God has chosen. God is, as the psalmist says, a father to the fatherless and a judge for widows is God in his holy habitation. He makes a home for the lonely. And these aren't just words. Naomi knew the law of God. And many of you may be familiar, it's in Deuteronomy 24 and 25, among other places, that God had made provision for widows. And in verse 19 of Deuteronomy 24, when you reap your harvest in the field and have forgotten a sheep in the field, you shall not go back. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, for the widow, in order that the Lord your God may bless you in the work of your hands. So widows in Israel had gleaning. And that's actually Ruth chapter 2. You know the book of Ruth, right? Ruth goes out and gleans. Uh, to, you know, she goes into the field behind the harvesters and picks up what's left over. And so that was God's welfare system for widows. He had made provision for them that was good. Just like in the early church, they took care of widows. So God takes care of his widows. But that's not the only thing God does. And Naomi was also aware of this. In chapter 25, beginning in verse 5 of Deuteronomy, he talks about how if if a man dies and there is no off, no male offspring, then his widow can marry a near relative, a brother or another near relative. And therefore, when that widow marries the near relative, the, the son born would be considered the son of the dead man who and, and would receive the inheritance of the family. And that's Ruth chapters 3 and 4, right? where Boaz doesn't just provide the grain in chapter 2. He becomes the near relative who marries Ruth. And all of this was set up in the law. God's law was is good. Another aspect would be, and it's kind of sad in verse 21, I went out full, but the Lord has bowed me back empty. You know, Ruth is standing there. <laughs> what about me? I mean, she doesn't say anything. She's great. But, I mean, she's not empty. And again, God has given her Ruth in you know, that language there, where you die, I will die, where you go, go. I mean, people use it in weddings. It, it is about family loyalty, but it's a daughter-in-law to a mother-in-law. But it's really her conversion, which is kind of the next point. And, but the Lord has given her someone who's going to share the burdens. And I would add, in spite of terrible counsel. I mean, we talk about counseling, right? Okay, you have a Moabite woman who wants to go to Bethlehem two of them. And then he says, go back to your family. I'm going to say this cautiously, but it's like saying, go to a very hot place. She's saying, go back to paganism. And she even says to uh, Ruth, he says, go back to your people and to your gods. And what does Ruth do? She's converted. Her speech there isn't just loyalty to Naomi. It says, your people would be my people. Your God will be my God. And Naomi may be one of the worst evangelists in all of human history. And she still knew the word. And apparently Ruth has heard enough of the word through her that she's been converted and she's become a worshiper of God, as Boaz will later say, that she's taken refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. And that's incredible. Have you ever led anybody to faith? Actually, true story for me. That when I was a fairly new Christian in high school in Richardson, um, there was this guy that was hanging out with me and wanted to be my friend. And we'd shoot baskets together and we'd talk. And I was real serious and immature Christian. And I said, look, Rob, if you want to be my friend, you need to become a Christian. I don't have time for non-Christian friends. 
God saved him. <laughs> he started coming. He was from a Roman Catholic background, started coming to church. He received the Bible as authority. He believed in the gospel of justification by faith alone. And Rob is still my friend. He still has the Bible I gave him like in 1974. I get little credit. But young people, you know, that's not exactly the way to do it if you want to <laughs> see your... But in spite of, so in spite of Naomi, she's turned from false gods to the, the God of Israel, Ruth has. And then also just God's nature is gracious. Think, I mean, you can look at the situation and say, what does Naomi deserve anyway? But God brings hope out of hopeless situations. In Jeremiah 29, it's a very famous passage and it deserves a bit of context. In the book of Jeremiah, it's like the worst. It's like the people of Israel are going into, egg, or the people of Judah are going to exile into the Babylonians and, you know, carried off and temple and city destroyed and everything's awful. And then the Lord says to the prophet, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. And of course, the promise in the context of Jeremiah is one day the people would reoccupy the land and rebuild the temple and God's blessing would continue. But in that is a principle that God is faithful to His covenant even in spite of the unfaithfulness of His people. And even though the people in the days of Judges didn't deserve better than they were experiencing, and even the Naomi didn't deserve much either, God does good. He redeems us in spite of our sins and our failures, even if we do not understand what He is doing at the time. And, of course, we know in the context of the book of Ruth, God is not, you know, you know how the book ends, right? That Ruth marries Boaz, Ruth and Boaz have a baby Obed, and at the end it says Naomi has a son, and she's holding a baby. And all that she thought was hopeless, God has fulfilled her concern, and her family is famous, and she still has relatives alive today. And do you know what the last word of the book of Ruth is, at least in my translation? The last word in the book of Ruth is David. Through Obed, Jesse, David. So God is not just bringing redemption to this little family. God through this little family is bringing redemption to Israel. And the days of the judges when they're an oppressed people are about to end. And God is going to make Israel a great nation. As the David, the type of Messiah, comes, the anointed one, and conquers enemies and establishes the border. And so God is going to lift Israel out of the self-imposed misery they brought upon themselves and then, of course, that points to Christ because you have a world that's in a mess like Naomi and like Israel in sin, deserving nothing. But through David comes Christ, the son of David, who comes to bring redemption to the world. That's all the stuff that God is doing. And all Naomi says, oh, the Lord is against me. She knows better now. <laughs> and Ruth has faith. Ruth portrays how one day even the Gentiles will be grafted in through her Son, ultimately Christ. She's in the genealogy. So, some application. I think we've more or less explained the story. We've shown how it points to Christ, how it points to redemption. How do we help sad people? How do we help people who've experienced great loss? Well, the first is we should have compassion. Even self-inflicted suffering hurts. 
And some people are not suffering because of self-inflicted suffering. They're hurting because they have experienced great loss. They've lost a loved one. They've been abandoned by someone they trusted. They're suffering physically. Proverbs 18:14 says, The spirit of a man can endure his sickness, but as for a broken spirit, who can bear it? We should have compassion. Uh, I had a propensity to being melancholy when I was a young Christian. And there was virtually nothing that would annoy me more is these perpetually cheerful people coming up to me and saying, just rejoice, God is on His throne, it's, everything's wonderful. Just smile and be happy. And that would just be like fingernails on a chalkboard to me. Or I found the verse, um, Proverbs 25, verse 20, like one who takes off a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar on soda is he who sings songs to a sad heart. So we should have compassion. We should actively care for those in need. Uh, we churches, we families should be concerned about widows and orphans. James says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and our Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in their distress. If we're the ones who are sad, we need to be tempted not to be embittered against God. It can be really tough, okay? I will speak about the, the biggest trial I have in life. I shared with it yesterday is I have unbelieving adult sons. And I know that God has to regenerate them. I know that He can regenerate them. I don't understand why He hasn't regenerated them. I have to trust Him in the midst of that. But there can be really hard things in life where we can be tempted to blame God in the wrong way like Naomi did. I like in Psalm 73 when the, the psalmist is complaining about the prosperity of the wicked and he says, My feet came close to stumbling. My steps almost slipped. So we need to be careful. And Job says at the end, I lay my hand on my mouth. That God is infinite, wise, perfect, good, just. And if we don't understand what He's doing, we're not the first. We won't be the last. And something I pray for daily, and when Caroline and I pray together, give me faith to trust you when things are sad. But hard things can make us sad. Um, I also want to just mention that sadness is not the only reason for depression. I can't go into all the others. You know, David, when Psalm 32 says, after he'd committed great sin, when I was silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Night and day, your hand was heavy upon me. In Psalm 42 and 43 and 88, you have people who are sad because, kind of like Naomi, life stinks. Everything's going wrong. And they've experienced, they're experiencing loss and they're, you know, pleading with God and, and they're not experiencing the relief. Um, and there may be people who are, have something going wrong with them physically, mentally, in the brain. It's really hard to know when that's happening. Uh, a lot of people say, well, will medicine solve the problem of depression? And I have a good friend who's also an ACBC fellow, like uh, my brothers here, and Keith and Terry, and he's written a book about it, and he's done a lot of medical research as well as uh, from the Scripture. Dr. Hodges, you may have had him here before, and I appreciate what he says. He said that for most people with ordinary sadness, antidepressants don't really do anything. There may be people with undefined sadness. There may be people who are extremely depressed where it could help with the symptoms. It will never address the cause. And so taking those pills is a matter of freedom. It's between you and the Lord. We can't say from the Bible you're not allowed to, but we can also say 
that if you have spiritual issues behind your depression, there, you need something deeper. You need something better. And, and the hope of the gospel is that as we turn to the Lord, we can have hope and the spiritual struggles can be alleviated. So what do you do? I mentioned in the beginning uh, a fellow, I'll call him Rob, and he came in and he had been very depressed for a long time. And he, a few things had gone on in his life, as I already mentioned, when he was younger. He thought he had a call to serve God in his mid-twenties. But he got married, had kids, got a normal job, and now 20-something years later, he just senses he abandoned God, he did the wrong thing, and that God's just kind of done with him because he didn't take the hint. Now, we know from our theology that God doesn't issue audible calls, that he's guilty of, you know, he was free to do what he did. Um, he also had gone to work for a company where, from his standpoint, he had contributed a great deal to the success of this company and had a very important role. And then his friend, who was the boss, let him go when the economy was difficult. And he'd been unable for some time to find another position that would provide for his family. And he is a male version of Naomi. So so what do you do? And there are different things. I think one important thing, and all of this really relates to people who are depressed are prone to believe lies and they need the truth. We're tempted to believe lies about God, like Naomi, the Almighty is, is against me. God was for her, not against her. That the Lord is embittered. You know, God is... Is, is good and just. The Lord is good, His loving kindness is everlasting, and His faithfulness to all generations. Um, we need to learn to think eschatologically, meaning, like at the end of Second Corinthians 4, though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being nude, renewed day by day. And so our hope isn't necessarily an ease and comfort in this life, but we have a hope yet to come that sustains us. One thing I see a lot in the Psalms for hard times is the psalmists, when things are difficult and they're lamenting, one thing they'll do is they'll remember God's past faithfulness to encourage them in the present. In, in Psalm 77, 11, it says, I will surely remember the deeds of the Lord. Lord, surely I will remember your wonders of old. And in 78, verse 11, on the other side, they forgot his deeds, his miracles that he had shown them. He wrought wonders before their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zoan. And that's what they often turn to. Look, if you look at a helpless situation, we were slaves in Egypt. But God, by his mighty arm, delivered us. And sometimes I'll do that with someone who's sad. Is, Let's go back. Tell me how God saved you. Tell me in your life. Okay, you're in financial trouble now. Has God ever helped you before? Yes. Let's recall the great works of God in your life. And, of course, in Scripture, likewise, in those examples. Uh, notice, like Naomi was blind. You know, it's like I forced in the passage saying, look at all the things God is doing for Naomi. Got her safely there, brought her to the promised land, all these provisions God has made that she's just blind to. The conversion of Ruth. And sometimes, by the way, I, the person I counsel most is myself. And when I'm like Naomi to some extent, I'll actually force myself to write down the reasons I have to be thankful because my mind seems out of control, swirling around with the problem I can't find a solution to. And then uh, you should have gotten a card, most of you, a little counseling card. I explained to the conference that since people won't read books anymore, we give them cards <laughs> when we counsel them. But 
Um, there's a famous sermon by Barton, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the British or Welsh pastor a century ago now or less. But it, and he had a, a sermon on Psalm 42, and he said, the problem is with depressed people, we need to stop listening to ourselves and we need to start talking to ourselves. And he uses Psalm 42 and 43 because in each you have a, a lament about all the terrible things that are happening. And then it says, hope in God, for I will again trust him. And then another lament, and then the same refrain. And then a third lament, and the same refrain. So it's like there's this battle going on in his soul between the lies he's tempted to believe and the truth about God, which should comfort and strengthen him in his sadness. And back to my friend Rob, I actually gave him an assignment. You're kind of holding his homework in your hands. I took what he did and modified it some and turned it into the card. But this is also thinking of him is, is writing it down or having something like this. When your mind is out of control, it's kind of like forcing you to answer the lies. And I'll often give this assignment. What are the lies you're tempted to believe? And what is truth from the Bible that will overcome the lies? And I, I had him use Naomi, I think, as an example, because most of these are lies Naomi was tempted to believe, and they were all lies. They were all wrong. And then Scripture to answer. For example, you know, the Lord is against me. Well, actually, we've already read in Romans 1 for us, it's in the New Covenant, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but with him has given us all things. God, God has proven that he's for you in the gospel. Um, my situation is hopeless. You know, I can never have the child, and these women can never have grandchildren and all of this. Well, God is the God of hope. We already read in Jeremiah 29.11 how in the most hopeless of situations, when you're among His covenant people, He has good things planned for you. Back to Romans 8.28, if, if, you're, if you're loved by God and you love God, He is going to do great things for you ultimately. I'm all alone. There's no one else. And again, there's Naomi with Ruth. You know, I'm alone. I'm empty. Uh, well, God is always with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, we read in Sunday school, Psalm 27, verse 10, that if my father and mother have forsaken me, the Lord will take me up. In the Psalm, Psalm 23, you know, if I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with me. I just can't live without a desire. I can't live without grandchildren. I can't live without, and again, for others of us, a, a, a spouse, children, a job, all the things we think we need. Well, ultimately, God is all we need. In Jeremiah 17, it, it warns in verses 5 and 6 that if you are looking to men for your ultimate satisfaction, you're going to be like the bush in the desert. But if you trust in God, you're going to be like the tree planted by rivers of water. And sometimes I believe the reason God takes away things we want so badly is to make us learn to trust Him more and not to depend upon things that are less than Him. I've ruined my life by my sin. I mean, you get to Naomi, she made a lot of really bad decisions earlier in chapter 1. She's got a really terrible attitude uh, when you get to the end of chapter 1. But our God is a God who restores, like David in Psalm 32. He said, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Night and day your hand was heavy upon me. And by the way, there can be sin leading to sadness as well. But then he said, I confessed my sin to you and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Then he can say, restore to me the joy of my salvation. My life is unfair. That's the psalmist in Psalm 73. The prosperity of the wicked. 
Well, he says, I was troubled until I saw their end. Taking the eternal perspective, God is completely just, even if justice doesn't come immediately. God doesn't care. That's again, kind of like Naomi, Job. Well, no, he, he proves his care. Actually, in Isaiah, it talks about a mother could sooner forget her nursing child than God could forget you if you're his child. The Bible tells us the truth about God's care offsetting the lie. I'm no good. That's true, actually. <laughs> we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all upon him. Our status is not because of our goodness, but rather, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, how I have a righteousness not of my own through keeping the law, but the righteousness which comes from God by faith. And actually, you only can have the blessing of God and redemption when you realize you have no righteousness of your own to have a standing before God. But God, for believers, when we confess our sin and trust in Jesus Christ, He declares us righteous. He gives us His perfect righteousness. And that's where our security comes from, not from within ourselves. So it can be a battle. Philippians 4 talks about how we should think on these things. But just to to sum up, probably for every one of us, there's going to be a time in life, and some of it's today, and some of us it'll be another time, when you're tempted to think God must be against me. God must not care. That is a lie. It can be a dangerous lie. Suffering is hard. But the redemption we have experienced proves that God cares for us. In Colossians 3, it's Colossians 1.13, it says, For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Lord cared about Naomi as her elect child, and the Lord ultimately brought redemption and deliverance to Naomi out of the very thing that concerned her most. And now she became a a mother, a grandmother, a matriarch in Israel. God cared about Israel in spite of their unfaithfulness. And that God, in the last word of the book, provided David, who would be that king they needed after every man doing what was right in his own eyes. God finally brought the redemption they needed, although they didn't deserve it. And that God is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of David, brought redemption to all who will confess their sin and believe on him. God is in control. He's working all things for the good of his people. And we can trust him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that on every page we have wisdom. We thank you that on every page we can see how that relates to your plan of bringing redemption to your people. We thank you that you care about individuals and families and that as you showed kindness and mercy to this family, you offer kindness and mercy to us. Lord, for those today who are very sad, help them to stop listening to the lies they're tempted to tell themselves from the father of lies who would destroy them and help them to, from your word, speak the truth to themselves and to trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.